Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today, as always, Miss Keith Bluefield. Welcome. Hello, Ryan. Uh, Mr. Matt Lovell is in the house. Hello, hello. And mainly leading proceeding today is Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And I'm your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish. Uh, today, coming up on the show, we'll be talking all things PlayStation, having a few PlayStation memories, and with the loss of the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita store, we'll be having a look at what games are disappearing into the ether forever. Uh, we'll also be having a look at Amazon Prime's new adult comic book series, Invincible, plus your comics roundup and your games of the week. Uh, but for now... What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. Take a minute, see what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. So, gentlemen, what have been up to the last few weeks since we recorded? Uh, let's start off with Lee. Lee, what have you been up to? Um, well, I have been... Um, what have I been up to? I've been playing various things from my backlog again, uh, which I'm chipping away at quite nicely, actually. Um, I've currently been playing through um, Haven, which came out at the end of last year, sort of like... Um, Sci-fi romance game, which is an interesting uh, combination. Uh, it's basically it is essentially like a sort of survival exploration type game. It's about a couple that have fled their home world onto this other planet, and they're just uh, trying to sort of stay hidden on this this planet. And it's just got some really good relationship writing in it. So basically, they they feel like an actual couple the way they're written. Um, but like most of the game, you'll be sort of wandering around this planet trying to find resources for food and um, trying to sort of clear up some of the areas that have been kind of corrupted by this uh, weird alien stuff uh, that they've got there. And it's just kind of exploring, uncovering the mystery of this strange planet that they've landed on. And it's a really interesting game. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just been playing it on Game Pass. So. Yeah, sounds like something definitely worth playing. Uh, I mean, not something I've picked up yet, but mm -hmm. Game Pass is a, a wonderful having. Yes, so much stuff you can never get through it all. Yeah, I, I see Grand Theft Auto Five is returning to Game Pass again soon, mm -hmm. like the umpteenth time. Yes, never managed to finish it. <laughs> Although only for like console, I notice because I've noticed that the upcoming month is really bad for PC. Yeah, I think it's like it's, I think it's like one game coming to PC, and it's it's like some yeah. really obscure indie game that I've never heard of in my life. So that's uh, yeah, and everything else from GTA Five seems to be ghost sports yeah. for the uh, console players. Um, I mean, I think to be fair though, like last month did have all the games in the world for PC, especially because the EA stuff came in as well. So and Bethesda as well. And the yeah, it's just the twenty <laughs> Bethesda games. But still, just take up most of the front page right now. It's like here's everything. Now go play. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, thanks to Bethesda putting all its games on uh, Game Pass, I managed to finally play the final level of Wolfenstein. Um, uh, new, what is it called? Young Not, Blood. Is it new, new Order. Order? New, Order. New, Order. new Order. New Order. Yeah, yeah. Because um, when it was last on Game Pass, I'd played it up until the I was up to the final level, and then they took it off. 
and I thought, I'm never going to complete this game. So it only took about 20 minutes, but finally I managed to get that played. Did, did it end with Blue Monday? Please tell me it ends with Blue Monday. No, it just ended, it, it just ended with certain, certain characters demising, which is quite good. Um, so yeah, so now, now I can go on and play the rest of the um, Wolfenstein series. Um, mm-hmm. Now I've finished that one. Play Dishonored. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do want to play that mostly because I saw a Jinx TV um, show once, where which was the the, the the most comedy gaming moment I'd ever seen. They were pl- playing through that game, and there was somebody. They, there was a character, a non-player character, who stood behind a gate, and the commentary was just like, "No, you can go up behind him. Nothing will happen. He won't do anything." And then that bloke turned around and, and killed the character that was playing. <laughs> and I just thought that was. That, that's me playing that game. So I will play that. I also watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong over the weekend, which was mm-hmm. entertaining. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed King of the Monsters, although I know a lot of people didn't dig that one either. Um, mm-hmm. It's still not quite as good as the, the, t- the original Toho um, Godzilla's, you know. I've, I've heard there's a lot of too much humans in it. Just like, go away, we want to watch Big Monkey Slap. <laughs> um... I, d- I think it's the fact that what the humans have to do just makes no sense. They just seem to be wandering around the background, like going, this has no impact on anything else that's happening in the entire movie, but we're just moving yeah. from scene to scene in order that you see some humans at some point. Um, I take it the uh, leak that was buried in the trailer of a certain other big monster turning up is pretty much there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's all in there. But, um, you know, the bits with Kong and Godzilla are pretty good. You know, the animation is is, is pretty excellent. Um, it's, it's just not the same as, as the, the Toho's, even like the later 2000 Toho's, or even Shin Godzilla, uh, which is still the best post-2000 Godzilla that we've we've had, um, except never watch the dubbed version, kids. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did see the, that weird GameSpot review of... Uh this movie where they pretty much complained that the writing was terrible and all you're going to get out of it is just you know kong battling battling godzilla it's like that's kind of why we're here though isn't it (laughs) but i think i think that does a disservice to the quality of the original films because you did have Mm -hmm. you know godzilla versus whoever it was along the way but there was more stuff to those Mm -hmm. um stories they they were written a, a, a bit better the american ones just seem to kind of forget it's like, oh no! If if things get blown up and stuff gets punched, that's all the audience wants. And it's like, no, that's why you had rampage. You know, that's <laughs> they're, they're, they're throwaway things. Godzilla's more than that. Always has been, and I think it does a disservice. I was, I was to, about to, to say, to oh no! What if they what if they make a rampage movie and they remember they did make a rampage movie? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard rumours they're looking to combine it with Pacific Rim as well, which would be. Nonsense. A misstep. Yeah. Absolute nonsense. Who needs just, just that? Just adding giant robots into the mix as well. Yeah, just just keep them quite separate. You know, yeah. uh, Godzilla's got plenty of characters that that you you can draw on, uh, as was teased in in yeah. King of the Monsters. Um, but as a, as a Godzilla fanboy, is it worth worth your time? Uh, yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, it just made me want to watch the Japanese ones. Um, really for for more stuff and then i also started playing star trek legends which is on apple arcade um which is just a time sink 
but all it made me want to do is have Disney Infinity style figures for the characters because that's the kind of art style they've gone Pete, for. You already have too many figures. No, we, but they're really nice. The they just, you never have too many figures. They're just really cool. They're just really cool little kind of like you know styled figures. So if if anybody's listening and they want to do launch a range of Star Trek Legends figures in the kind of Disney toy box, Disney <laughs> Infinity style, you're going to sell at least one. You'll be in a loot crate and never again. <laughs> Matt, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, I've been binging the Dota anime, so Dota Dragon's Blood, which was released on Netflix. Um, overall verdict, it's meh, it's okay. It's it's kind of, there's some really good points and some really not so good points. Um, it's got, in terms of the actual anime, um, it's kind of similar to Wonder Vision in a way where you don't need to have that previous knowledge of Dota, the video game, to be able to enjoy it, which is great. Um, it has sort of like little Easter eggs here and there um, woven throughout, which is quite nice for the fans, but it's not too obtuse that other people won't have a clue what's going on. Um, it's got a really good pedigree it comes from a really good pedigree so you've got um sort of ashley miller directing it who um sort of works on andromeda terminator the sarah jane chronicles uh sarah, uh, sarah jane sarah chronic uh, connor chronicles i was gonna say that that's a universe <laughs> i know i know <laughs> <laughs> i just imagined k9 in the terminator universe now, just, uh, oh, it's been a long day <laughs> um and then you know worked on things like x-men first class so obviously quite good um you've also got studio Mur who worked on legend of Korra and uh, uh voltron which i haven't seen but everyone says it's really quite good um and then like voice actors you've got people like uh, troy baker who is obviously one of the biggest video game voiceover um in sort of the industry uh so he plays joel in the last of us he plays sam in um uh that's it <laughs> Um, and then uh, sort of uh, Carrie Walgren who's quite big in sort of anime uh, voiceovers for anime so she's in sort of um, Blood Plus she's in um, Witch Hunter Robin that kind of thing so all of these really really good pedigree but I think where it falls down is um, it's eight episodes each episode is 20 minutes long but there's essentially four stories going along and I kind of feel like the only character I actually cared about was Troy Baker's character, Invoker, who I think he played very, very well and was well-written. But everyone else was kind of rushing from A to B to C. So things were happening, characters were kind of interacting, um, relationships were kind of forming, but you were more told that they were forming rather than you actually got to see them organically. Um, but there was it's in terms of art style it's absolutely beautiful in terms of the music and sort of some of the set pieces it's it's wonderful but then it gets let down with um, sort of the lack of characters so for example the two main characters uh, Marana and Davian Davian in, in my opinion without giving any spoilers away but his story is very much a kind of he's almost like a bit of an NPC he's kind of along for the ride you know um, 
you could eliminate his story altogether and it probably wouldn't affect the overall plot at the end of the day. And it's very much a kind of um, set up. The whole thing is setting up for a season two and a season three, which is obviously quite promising, but it's kind of let down in, in what is actually there. Um, That's a worrying thing with Netflix series is if the this first series doesn't perform well enough, they are of likelihood just to chop it because they can. Exactly. I don't know, it sounds it sounds a little bit like what they did with the Castlevania mm, series. That's what I was thinking. So yeah, the, yeah this, the set up on the first series of the Castlevania felt a little bit that way, and then kind of. So I, th- I think well, I we'll think, get future I think series. Cast, I think with Castlevania though, they did actually like commission the whole thing, but then split it into two seasons. So that's why it kind of just. It feels like we've just got started and then it just stops. <laughs> because yeah. it wasn't meant to stop there, it was meant to be <laughs> the rest of the season. But no, season two is the second half of the first season. Yeah, I can understand with Dota because there's so many heroes and it's multifaceted and they want to try and squeeze mm-hmm. as many fan favourites in as possible. But as you said, having four stories in 20 minutes is always going to be a bit of an ask. Just... Yeah, and it's like so. The lore in the universe that they build looks interesting, but you just don't have enough time to really like enjoy it, you know. And and Castlevania is quite a good sort of parallel because the other thing they try to do is they try to be quite edgy, so characters swear quite a lot, and um, there's a lot of, like sexual references and that kind of thing. But they seem quite forced. Whereas if you look at something like Castlevania, that's also quite sort of edgy but it flows naturally in dialogue sort yeah. of all of the violence and that makes sense and again it's, I guess it's vampires so you know it's kind exactly, of, yeah. vampires and monsters yeah and I guess going back to that kind of plot point at least with Castlevania there was like a singular strand really you had maybe a little bit of both with, with Dracula and his backstory but it was quite a narrow story whereas again with Dota you've got loads of stuff going on and so you're just there being like i don't really care about many of these characters or where they're going what they're doing so i would say it's it's worth a watch but at this moment in time time will tell what what happens in the future really it's not something i would rush back to see straight away cool but so as a dota fan nearly there but maybe another season yeah, it's, it's nice to see um, it's an anime, and it is very much sort of a, a love letter to to the game and the fans, which is nice. So that mm-hmm. is <laughs> that is and, good. Any random base hunter moments halfway through the series? No. However, oh, like <laughs> so many people don't understand that base hunter originally made the Dota song before he got big in like the early 2010s repurposing all of his gaming music to try and be cool. <laughs> yeah. Enough about me, Ryan. How are you? Uh, been a bit quiet, to be honest. I have downloaded and played a little bit of the Cyberpunk 1.2 patch, which cleared away a lot of drugs. Uh, <laughs> well, that too. A lot of drugs. And a lot of bugs in the game as well. But I think they seem to have introduced as many bugs as they've taken away as per possibly their first FPS development is going according not the plan. <laughs> so, um, But definitely fix some things. So The police don't just spawn behind you now, they spawn in front of you and more like 60 feet away rather than just 10 feet away. Still don't get into cars, still don't chase you. But um, there's still the gem of a great game there. It's just very frustrating. And for those of us who played Witcher 3 at the launch, 
it, it's it's a very much similar kind of pattern where the game is definitely broken, but you just forge your way through. Uh, other than that, been watching a bit of Invincible on Amazon Prime, which we'll be talking about later, and pretty much that's been it, apart from work and eating way too much chocolate over Easter, same as most of us. But um, so coming up next on the show will be the Geeky Remy Paul list with Keith reviewing the best comic pickups of the last couple of weeks, and then we'll be talking about the PlayStation and our favourite memories. Uh, so we'll catch you in a little bit. <laughs> Now we'll take a look at some of the comics out now and coming soon in the pull list. Available right now is The Dreaming Waking Hours number 9 from DC Comics Black Label. This is written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nick Robles. In this issue, seduced by the sensual wiles of the realm of fairy, Ruth and Heather After have not only been separated from the angel Joffiel, they've completely forgotten why they've set foot in this delightful place. But Fairy's charms, literally, are lost on Joffiel and he remains firmly on a mission. Unfortunately for him, the King of Fairy has his own ideas on just what Joffiel's power can do for him. This is a worthy successor to Neil Gaiman's original Sandman series. And if you enjoyed that, I recommend you pick this up right now. Also out now is Excalibur number 20 from Marvel Comics. This is written by Tinny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. In this issue, no pity from your friends. The Phantom Menace. An invisible threat is loose on the island of Krakoa, unseen, unheard, undetectable by any except Excalibur. I'm enjoying this series a lot, and it's good to see Betsy's Captain Britain back in the realm of the living. Coming up next week, we have Star Trek Year 5, number 20 from IDW Publishing. This is written by Brandon Easton with art by Sylvia Califano. As the crew of the Enterprise moves towards an uncertain future, one of their own will be pulled into a violent past. While investigating a mysterious structure on Vulcan, Spock vanishes. As the crew tries to find him, Spock must fight to survive as he navigates the painful past of his home planet. And finally, coming up next week, we have Lock and Key, the Sandman Universe Hell and Gone number one from IDW Publishing and DC. This is written by Joe Hill with art by Gabriel Rodriguez. In this issue, if you think you can unlock the gates of hell and just invite yourself in, you must be dreaming. The epic crossover between two of the most beloved fantasy universes in comics begins here. John Jack Locke is 10 years dead, but that hasn't stopped him from posting the occasional letter home from hell. Now, Mary Locke will do anything to save her brother's soul, including cut a deal with Roderick Burgess, the most evil man in England, to search for answers in the House of Mystery and risk the walking nightmare known as the Corinthian to find help in the disintegrating kingdom of dreams. I'm looking forward to this series and I hope it pays off. Don't forget, you can also check out the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed on Wednesdays, where I'll also be posting up a few other great comics you should check out in Under the Radar and some comics news in Meanwhile. Until then, back to the main show. So we thought we'd revisit one of our most favoured and the world's most purchased console, if we exclude the DS, I think. Which is the Sony PlayStation and its many iterations. No, the PlayStation 2 is the best-selling console of all time. I thought the DS was still the money printer of... That's Nintendo's best-selling console. Ah, okay. <laughs> anyway, so the best-selling console, best-selling console variety of all time, which is the PlayStation, and originally came out back in 1994 in Japan and 95 in the UK. 
and since then we've had a generation every five six or seven years depending on how soon you want to play it out but um considering i've not played since the playstation 2 i think i'm going to let matt and lee lead this one a bit more i know me and keith are a bit more of an xbox family <laughs> so um start us off with matt what's your favorite playstation memories um well for me it's so playstation one has quite a, a big resonance with me because um my brother with there's 15 years apart from us and um he's he was a marine when i was younger so we really only bonded over playstation and he originally would have the playstation and i would sort of sneak outside his room and like look through the door because he was playing games like resident evil and that kind of thing where really sort of edgy edgy games that i wasn't allowed to watch and then he eventually um started letting me play with him and then he he would sort of when i got my own playstation he would then buy me games so things like um tomb raider 2 that kind of thing he bought me and it was it was where i first got into gaming properly like i had I had uh, sega and that kind of thing before but this was really when i first started to um explore my passion for video games i think for me one of the most nostalgic things is the demo discs on playstation when you first boot them up and it's got that really awesome 90s techno <laughs> yes and you've just got <laughs> you've got like the, the menu as well was all quite like it's like, in my head now exactly yeah they're very like apes odyssey style like um mm -hmm. menu and sound effects and that kind of thing and it's I a just menu that could only exist in the 90s <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you just sit there and play like the first level of Wipeout or the Apes Odyssey demo or Two Braided Two, like the first like level over and over again for hours and hours on end. Um, and then things like um, always going around like, other friends' houses and we'd play things like Crash Bandicoot and um, like the very first Medal of Honor and that kind of thing. It was just one of those kind of consoles that i think was quite accessible and um obviously pioneered 3d graphics so it just had that was where games really started to explore what you could have you know um what sort of it is as a medium how about yourself lee what are those earliest playstation memories uh, so like the the earliest sort of playstation memories so like like matt i wasn't super into gaming but i had like um you know a snes and, and a, a nes before that and was like playing a lot of cartoony games like i think on my nes i was playing like darkwing duck and this, like a simpsons platformer and on the snes it was like animaniacs and something else um and obviously the mario stuff and then it was going around to a friend's house and seeing them play tomb raider and i was like what is this game <laughs> and like just it was like the first you know, and I got to play like part of the first level and just kind of going through the caves and everything. And I was just like, this is so unlike any, anything I've seen. And I was like, I need to have a PlayStation. I need to play Tomb Raider. Um, and eventually got one for my birthday. And I know exactly when I got my first PlayStation because it was 1998. <laughs> the main reason I know that is because my first game for it was Crash 2 as well as Tomb Raider. And... Um, I've also got all my old PlayStation magazines, and the earliest one I've got is, like, October 98. So, like, it had to be some point between those two things coming out. So, 
my birthday seemed like the most appropriate thing but like but it was then kind of going in and reading those playstation magazines kind of opened me up to so many different types of games because like you said they all came with the demo discs and you'd play all these weird things that you i would probably have never touched before because it was just like oh i just want to play like these cartoony things but then it was like you know from tomb raider and then going on from there and just playing all these different things and just realizing oh no there's so much stuff and like you said like gaming was doing a lot of new like playstation opened up a lot of games it was a very experimental time i've noticed because like three 3D... i believe the phrase is shovelware for the playstation one <laughs> <laughs> it was um no it's because it's like obviously the 3d stuff had just come in you know they were able to have like being able to move in a 3d space now rather than just you know 2d top down all from the side and so everyone was just kind of playing around with that and you can kind of see in just how many different ways there are to navigate a 3d space that exists in that because everything's kind of standardized now because just from everyone experimenting in that time and eventually just kind of going oh yeah maybe the left stick moves the character and the right stick moves moves the camera um but you know it took a while to get there and that's why you've got like the tank controls and resident evil and stuff like that and how everything in tomb raider is basically squares or just grid based um but yeah it's just it's such a, a weird interesting time i think so many and you had like experimenting with like rhythm games and things like that came in during that era because they could finally do cd quality audio and all this sort of stuff so it's just i think it was probably just a really fun time to get into games because there was so much going on yeah i think that's a really good point um i know nintendo off of um are quite synonymous with uh, sort of making sort of innovative tech and ways of gaming but actually the playstation again you had things like the dance mat that kind of thing um but also you'd have things like um certain you could play cds in your playstation certain um playstation discs like game discs you can put in a cd player and they will play um sort of soundtracks there was one um game called monster rancher which was another of the pokemon era and they had this really unique um mechanic where you could get any cd you wanted stick it in the playstation and it would generate a new monster and it was just those kind of um again i think you know going back to what lee said it was quite experimental and it's opened the door for other consoles to do that and even again with the sort of the controller as well having the analog sticks introduced towards the end that then became kind of the prototype for controllers moving forwards yeah because i think it was like the playstation release of alien resurrection that sort of introduced that two stick control that is pretty much standard now I know that because apparently like, there was a video that I watched recently which brought up a review from the time which said, like, this is a really weird control system. I don't know why they adopted that. And it's hilarious looking back at that because it's like, yeah, every game has that control scheme. <laughs> <laughs> and I think kind of uh, it's moving on to, like, PlayStation uh, 2. And obviously that's where kind of the Xbox uh, sort of entered the market. And then you had the GameCube. I think in, in that kind of period, the GameCube was a very much underrated console and i think part of that may have been due to as well nintendo's business model of working with third parties but you had as a ps2 it was incredibly accessible 
but also it was kind of showcasing the graphics. So things like Final Fantasy X, seeing that on the PlayStation 2, and that was quite an early title as well. Mm -hmm. That really showcased sort of the graphic power you could have and the jump from basically early 3D graphics to something more refined. Um, but also in terms of like the price point, that kind of thing, it, it lasted for about six years before the PS3 came in. Um, and you'd saw the consoles get progressively cheaper, especially when, when they introduced like the slim model, which again was, they started with the first PlayStation with the slimmer PS1, um, carried on with the PlayStation 2, and it was um, cheaper, took up less space, but then also all of the games were getting progressively cheaper and just more accessible and you could afford to have similar to what the Wii was in the next generation you could afford to have a PlayStation 2 and go for something else as well um, and then of course you just had um, sort of again really interesting games like, um, like Call of Duty you had the first Star Wars Battlefront that kind of thing Final Fantasy X loads of decent exclusives as well um, for the console, so it's I think kind of, it's yeah. kind of where like Sony's first-party studios really kind of came into their own as well, because you had like Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank, God of War started on the PS2. Mm. Um, you know, you've got all all these big franchises that they still have to this day, and they a lot of it started in that era on that system. Um, but I think it also you got one thing you got to remember as well with that is it sold so well because it was the cheapest DVD player on the market. Oh yeah, exactly. So there was that too, because it could play DVDs, and at the time, like it was quite expensive to get just a standalone DVD player. And then he comes Sony, was just like, yeah, it's a games console and a DVD player, and it's like a hundred quid cheaper. <laughs> I think that's one of the things they've missed out on the PS5, because we had with the PlayStation Two, as you said, it was the DVD player. The PS3 was the Blu-ray player, mm -hmm. and then the PS4 was kind of like, oh look, it's the next version of Blu-ray player. Whereas the PS5's come out and there's like there's nothing new to kind of sell with that. Mm -hmm. right. Keith, what are your first thoughts of the uh, PlayStation? This is where I look my age talking <laughs> about this stuff. Because at the time, it was obviously the PlayStation was just going to be an add-on to the Super Nintendo, the way it was being developed between Nintendo and Sony. And so at, at, when the idea came that they'd split and Sony were doing their own thing, you kind of thought, well, this isn't going to work, considering how you looked at things like the Philips CDI and the Panasonic 3DO going in that three, 3D pathway. You thought, this is just going to be a hideous disaster. Uh, and I kind of went for a Saturn originally. So I played um, Tomb Raider on, on the Saturn, also things like Panzer Dragoon. And I wasn't kind of wasn't that bothered by the PlayStation at the time. But then a game called Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid came along and I traded my place, my Saturn for a PlayStation, which I still think is one of the best designs uh, alongside the GameCube. The, the design of the original PlayStation 1 is just lovely. I love the flip top, uh, the big buttons, just a great looking machine. And then kind of as I was hooked from, from Metal Gear on. And I think as well, the, the other big benefit that the PlayStation introduced to gaming, which, which I cannot confirm or deny, was modding. And uh, I may or may not have had my PlayStation modded in order to play uh, a lot of Japanese games that weren't available in, in the UK. And I remember wanting to play things like Parasite Eve. And also there was a market for games that didn't even get officially released. There was a beat-em-up, a notorious beat-em-up uh, that didn't get an official release but was so available. Thrill Kill. Yeah, Thrill Kill. 
that was that was available, and I think that started the kind of whole console modding um, side of things as well. And the I think big pen lid was the the one that always got me with the PlayStation. Sorry, yeah, Interject. the big pen lid to prop the lid up as you put your hacked game in. Yeah, but I think it also opened the idea of like not having region locked content because there was a lot of Japanese games available on PlayStation that just didn't make it to the Western market for one reason or another and i think um the, uh, we missed a lot of good games in that first generation that have just kind of gone it's and i kind it's, of it's notable that you mentioned parasite Eve because that's a game that i'm still frustrated that they never released officially in the yeah uk um even like as a ps1 classic yeah for the ps3 they never did it it's a really um, good game and you, you kind of think well you know resident evil was a big success and i can't understand why parasite eve was not you know kind of viewed in the same in the same way I have played the original Parasite Eve, but this that's what happens when you have an American friend who owns it. <laughs> and, and you travel over there and you play it at her house in America. <laughs> Is that all you travel to America for? Yes, just yeah. to play Parasite Eve. And I think I stuck, I stuck with PlayStation then through PlayStation 2, which was kind of like the first um, networkable um, game console so you could play online. Not that I played an awful lot, but I did do some Battlefront with that. Uh, stuck through it with the PlayStation 3 because I wanted the Blu-ray um, abilities. And I've kind of drifted away from PlayStation since then. And I've kind of joined the Xbox fraternity, which I never thought I would ever do. Um, but, you know, Xbox, again, it's offered other stuff that PlayStation hasn't. And, I'm not, and you know, there's some PlayStation exclusives now that I kind of think, oh, I kind of, I kind of want to play that. But I don't know whether as much now it has the cool factor it, it kind of went for in that kind of late 90s it seemed to get wrapped up in that whole cool britannia type of thing you know it was it was it was kind of the oasis and blur thing whether you were playstation or xbox and all that kind of stuff so it had a a certain cachet with with youth culture and and it certainly it certainly went after it that was definitely like their smartest marketing move at least in in the uk at least because like there's different that you could see how the the model was different in other countries as well but like for the uk they wipe out was one of the first games and they yeah. used that to its advantage because the soundtrack was all licensed it was all um, club music and they put like playstation ones in clubs yeah i was gonna say i remember at the time it was really heavily to marketed it's like it's in nightclubs it was like yeah. the industry of sound yeah yeah it was all those kind of really heavy nightclub focused mm-hmm. this is the this is the console for 18 teenagers it's late late age teenagers early 20 something well that's the thing like going you know reading through the old playstation magazines like there's interviews with musicians and bands and stuff in there that don't have anything to do with games it's just it's to kind of create that culture around it that like and they would have cd reviews and film reviews in there as well just because it's like we you know we want it to be like not a nerdy gaming thing but like it's a cultural thing you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they were going for, and it, clearly it worked. Yeah. I mean, for myself, uh, again, I'm going to show my age here because my first console was the Atari 2600, <laughs> and then I swapped over into Commodore 64. But since the NES SNES era, I was I was always a Nintendo boy. So it was like I had the NES, I had the Game Boy, the Game Boy Advance, the Super Game Boy. It was always Nintendo for me. And as Keith mentioned, when uh, PlayStation went away and said, right, we're going to make our own disc-based console with Blackjack and Polygons. <laughs> it, it was kind of like I wasn't really interested at the time with the PlayStation. 
Oh, I think we've lost Matt for a second. Uh oh. Liar. No, we're back. Yeah, I'll restart my bit. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> no, it's fine. Five. So for myself, um, I'm going to show my age again here. Uh, my first console was the Atari 2600, which my dad brought home. Lovely wood grain on top. But that's a, that's a, that was the mark of a console in the end, <laughs> having wood grain. And then Commodore 64 then went on to, but since the NES, I was always a Nintendo boy. So it was NES, SNES, Game Boy, Super Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. And all the way through, it's always been, like, I was a Nintendo all the way from start to finish. And when... Uh, PlayStation and Sony decided to go away and it's like I'm making my own, own console with blackjack and uh, polygons and then they ran away and to do that it was kind of like I wasn't interested because it was like Nintendo they're still making cartridge based games it's fine and you, you have the Nintendo premium built in of course with cartridges versus discs but as you mentioned then you, I started noticing the PlayStation's library getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I'd go into computer exchange and Nintendo would have a little corner full of cartridge boxes. And then PlayStation would have a wall to themselves, just from PS1, PS1, PS1. And then it repeated itself with the PlayStation 2. And it was a case of... A lot of it was shovelware, I think it's fair to say. And it was a case of... It was one of those consoles that was so easy to code for. Any game, game, game studio with five minutes worth of dev time could... Oh, oh yeah, the, P the PS2 library is huge, but the when a library is that huge, you're going to get just terrible <laughs> things thrown in there. Yeah. But, um, so I owned a PlayStation, again, uh, playing naughty games like Thrill Kill, like Keith back in the day. <laughs> uh, we used to have one in our college breakout room, which was constantly propped open with a pen lid and soft modded to <laughs> To make things a little bit cheaper for my college, put it that way. <laughs> and I took my SNES in, but my SNES was the most used console because it had Super Mario All Stars and just people, people speedrunning that every single day became pretty much the ultimate game. Uh, and after that, I did own a PS2 again, mainly as a DVD player more than anything else, because there are some great games on the PS2, Tekken Tag, and a few games like that. That's where I really loved those PS2 games. And then, as Key said, I drifted off to Xbox Land, and then Xbox and Nintendo since then. I was never interested in the George Foreman PlayStation, and then never since then, really. So it's kind of, I have those early memories, but as you mentioned, it's more the culture around PlayStation at the time. It was like those lad mags like FHM and Loaded, and it was kind of like inter intertwined with that lad's culture and drinking Alco Pops and playing beat em up games i'd say the other the other thing that playstation did uh that kind of went beyond what anybody else had done to that time was peripherals because although nintendo had peripherals rob or the the, the super scope don't, and whatever don't go, it is don't go slagging off the donkey kong bongos <laughs> that's a little bit later but i you know, i remember having like the the four player um brick the multi-tap multi and then also the gcon 45 to play Time Crisis and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that was uh, another thing that Sony really was successful with is, is introducing peripherals um, that, that were really good and added a lot of, of value or play value to their, their games. I mean, I, you know, I'm still a big fan of light gun games to this day. Uh, and mm -hmm. playing Time Crisis with the G-Con is, is still one of the, you know, the, my favorite gaming experiences. 
do I do remember the the official PlayStation magazine around that around that time was sort of mocking how many peripherals had come out for the console. But but they had a page advertising a whole bunch of new peripherals coming out, and it was all made up. And I, all I remember off the top of my head is the G-Con bazooka. So it was the G-Con, <laughs> but it had like about ten barrels, so you just couldn't miss. <laughs> but Nintendo had already made that with the Super Scope. But the Super Scope was terrible. <laughs> I had a Super Scope. I loved it. But um, as you mentioned, though, the breadth of games is really good because you could jump from something like Space Channel 5 to Final Fantasy to the early COD games to other kind of... Yeah, Generous swapping was very easy on the PlayStation where Nintendo was very much known for its all JRPGs or adventure games or platform games and you wouldn't get much stuff until later into the GameCube era like Resident Evil 4. It was always the safe console. And then Xbox was just... FPS, 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 yeah. and brown. And the occasional RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and brown. Yeah. If... And the occasional RPG. Because the other thing that, that Sony introduced to the PlayStation was the, the continuation onto the next disc, which is something you hadn't seen. You know, you couldn't certainly couldn't do that with cartridges. But the, I can't I can't remember what the first game it was. But I know like Final Fantasy came with like four discs, and it was like you know now insert disc two or whatever it was, and that was kind of like you know. Something that you thought this is kind of getting a bit interesting now, where you've well, got you're much bigger that, games. You're saying that, like, you know, you you got introduced to PlayStation through Metal Gear Solid. That was on two discs. Yeah, was that on two discs? I couldn't. That, yeah. Because, um, like, in Metal Gear Solid Four, they made fun of it. Because, like, because you, you revisit Shadow Moses in Metal Gear Solid Four, and there's a part where you would change the disc in the original game, and you get to that point. Otacon calls you up and says, okay, Snake, time to change discs. He's like, oh, wait, no, we're on a Blu-ray now. Sorry. <laughs> um... <laughs> Such a hideous Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a console and it's something that's going to endure. And I don't think Sony's ever going to get out, out of the home console market. And I'll tell you what they did nice... get out of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, nothing can beat the money printer that was the DS and the 3DS and the DS Lite well, and all the DS generations that have been since. You know, the main problem with the Vita was just that it was a really good system and had no games on it. It was, it was exactly that, though, wasn't it? Like, it had so much potential, but... Well, and then, then launched the, what was it, UMDs, films, and it was just oh, yeah, that, like, was, that was the, the, the most fragile of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, weren't those those discs that you like you touch and they just evaporated in your hand? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, in terms of like, I think there was a bit of a turning point with the PS3 because remember when the PS3 launch, it was quite bad and the price was like Ridge Racer. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> really like meme sort of. I, I uh, love the like the, 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 re- the PS3 reveal has produced so many memes that exist to this day because that's also where the um, giant enemy crab fish came from as well. It was massive damage. It was the whole bit because I remember watching that live stream at the time, and the guy was like, "It's going to be very historically oh, yeah. accurate, We're going very much into Japanese history." And then three seconds later, yeah. it's a giant enemy crab. It's like its weak point for massive damage. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think because I, I switched to X, Xbox 360 after that because I was kind of wanting to to have PC games and I couldn't afford a PC and Xbox obviously 
has a lot of crossover like Battle for Middle Earth 2 and that kind of thing um, and then obviously you had Gears of War and that kind of thing Halo whereas I think PS3 in the early years didn't really have that much in terms of exclusives that anybody really cared about yeah I remember um, the PS3 library being very small in comparison yeah <laughs> the PS3. PS3 is definitely the PlayStation that took me the longest to get into yeah um, just because like its library was so small to begin with um, I think within its first year, it had Uncharted. Killzone. Don't forget Killzone, the <laughs> franchise everybody loves. Oh, actually, no, it didn't even have Killzone. <laughs> that ca- I like, thought that was the launch title. No, the first, the first Killzone was like um, PS2, and I think Killzone 2 was like the middle of like the PS3 era. And it wasn't Uncharted... very good either, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Having, having played them for a video in the past, yeah. <laughs> I can vouch for the uh, not... Not amazing quality of Killzone. Yeah, I think that's a franchise PlayStation have taken out the back and shot. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. I think as well what we what we've not had in in the last twenty years really is the kind of innovation that we saw at that point, particularly with the launch of the PlayStation and PlayStation Two, because kind of when you think in the time period, we went from like Binatone Pong to you know PlayStation One in quite a short period of time, and now really it's just it's just about power. It's just about you know moving those those graphical elements around, and you you get a minor you know kind of updates with the controllers and stuff. But I mean you know the 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 control systems are pretty much fixed from once the the you know the Dualcom was introduced. Um, there hasn't been an awful lot of, of of real innovation in the kind of the systems themselves. You know Nintendo have tried it with things like the Wii and stuff with the motion controls, and, and think, Sony have dabbled a little bit with that. But I think I don't know a big part of that is because the PS3 they went really innovative with the actual tech inside it with the cell processor and all that. Yeah. But the problem with the cell processors kind of leans into why there were so few games to begin with is no one knew how to develop how to develop for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you struggled as well because I, I remember it was the PlayStation Move camera. You had the was that with the was that was the three, and it was like their version of the Connect, basically. It was well, the the Move was basically them trying to do um, the Wii remotes because you had the actual like they were basically Wii remotes, and they still endure because the PlayStation VR, so they have maintained that. To this day, the, the shiny ball controllers. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> they did have like the camera for the PS2, the oh, iToy. Yeah, but I never, I never owned that, and I did because yeah. it was mostly like you had like the terrible mini game collections and very little else for that. It, so. It's what it's what I term as gimmick or feature. Yeah. So the Wii Remote is a feature because mm-hmm. it's ingrained into the console. The iToy was a gimmick because it doesn't work with 95% of the games you're going to play and what you're going to play with the iToy. It's like the Game Boy printer. (laughs) Gimmick. Game Boy camera. Gimmick. (laughs) Connect Connect tried to get out of the gimmick into the feature and I don't think it ever made it. (laughs) Yeah, we all remember the Xbox One launch and like, oh, Connect is going to Connect is going to be mandatory and it's always on and it's everything. And it, all people thought was, yeah, because I'm going to love having a camera in my living room that's always on, watching P- me potentially <laughs> sending data to Microsoft. <laughs> but um, I think again, it, it, it's it's a brand that will endure, and I don't think Sony will ever stop making PlayStations until people stop buying them, and I don't think it can. We've been having generations of people now who have been PlayStation owners since birth, and 
I think, as you said, Leek, I know you're a PlayStation man through and through, and Matt, you, you've been PlayStation most of your life. It's kind of, it gets ingrained. Can vouch for... <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, I know, especially with their exclusivities, that Sony put a lot of money into exclusive titles to make it a kind of, this is the place that you go to to play PlayStation play certain games and that's that's as, as, that's yeah. why i've stuck with it so long is just because there are so many exclusives that i really love um i mean like i don't have a ps5 yet but that ratchet and clank release date is making it very tempting now <laughs> so yeah i mean but i don't know if sony's going to move away from that a little bit we have seen some playstation exclusives come to steam recently we've seen horizon zero dawn do you think do you think that's going to be more of a thing is where you'll have cross-platform titles a few years they, later on? They are going to do more stuff on PC because Days Gone is coming to PC as well. Um, but from what I can gather, it's going to be like exactly like they've done with those two games. It's going to be PlayStation exclusive, and then a year or two down the line, it gets a PC release. So I think that's how they're going to handle it. It's not going to be Microsoft, you know, day one on both. So. I mean, I think this is definitely a subject that we're going to be revisiting much more in the future. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to hear your thoughts on PlayStations and what your memories have been. Amazon seemed to have a bit of a history of doing things with comic books and making them adult-related. We've had The Boys recently, which is a live-action version of a rather adulty comic book. And since then, we've had Invincible which is by the creator of Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman, along with Ryan Otley and Corey Walker. I hope I've got that right. (laughs) Who created a comic book back in the early 2000s called Invincible, and it was more of an adult take on the classical superhero genre and a bit of subversion of some comic heroes that you might be aware of in your time. Uh, But um, really good voice cast with this. We've got Stephen Ewan, we've got uh, Sandra Oh, J.K. Simmons, Zachary Quinto... Walton Goggins all playing significant roles in this and I watched the first three episodes and pretty much I've fallen in love with it and I think it's one of the best things on TV at the minute and Keith you're a fan of the original comic um, so far stick with the whole book while it was uh, running it was um, coming out of part of Image's superhero range of comics Uh, I think Invincible first appeared in um, Savage Jarrigan which is Eric Larson's long-running uh, comic book, which is probably coming in to over 250 issues now. Um, it's a real long-running book. So Invincible launched off the back of that, and it riffs on the whole idea of, like, uh, what if superheroes weren't good? And uh, it, it's ran for quite a considerable amount of time uh, as a comic, and I think that the series is uh, doing uh, something really good. It's keeping the kind of art style of the comics. It looks like um, some of the best kind of cartoon anime, so DC Young Justice um, and Teen Titans and other stuff like that. And what it's doing is not mm-hmm. kind of directly translating the comics into an animated form. It's a bit like what Kurtman did with Walking Dead. He's taken the idea of his comic book story uh, and, and changing things around and doing things in a different way uh and by doing it in animation they've been able to do a lot of the kind of wilder aspects of the comic and they've 
kind of mixed timelines up a little bit. So in the series so far, we've already had the appearance of the Flaxons, which are alien mm. invaders in the first few episodes, which didn't appear till kind of later on in the comic itself. And he's doing a wonderful job with kind of um, the way this series is working in, in, a, in a similar way to what the boys did. Now, the boys was a comic that I didn't really enjoy. I wasn't very uh, keen on that. It wasn't to my tastes, but the series itself uh, has taken elements of that book and made it really interesting. So I kind of really enjoy the way that is doing and it's kind of making a series that's good for mature audiences. And so it's doing a really good job. Um, you know, the voice cast is brilliant. As you've said, Stephen Yun, J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of like um, hope that this will be a long-running series. Can't see how it will be because it kind of seem look like they're going to burn through some of the storylines quite quickly, and kind of we're only have like three or four mm-hmm. episodes in now, and quite a lot's happened already. Um, so p- potentially other storylines from the comic book are coming along, uh, and you know it may branch off. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something nice to see as well that they're not just following the comic book route because that it does subvert expectations for people who have been long-term comic book fans and come in and probably just expecting the entire run to be made in its entirety similar as you would see with the manga series where the anime is pretty much just a condensed version of many manga volumes having a bit of subversion and forging their own path for the characters i always find a bit better uh, but as you mentioned and i said earlier the voice cast on this is stunning Stephen Ewan. He seems to be having massive ascendancy at the minute. He's been Oscar nominated for a couple of movies. And he's playing Invincible really, really well. And it's kind of like having a superhero origin story where I'm not bored at the origin story to start off with. I think it's really good. And having foil of J.K. Simmons playing his father as Omni-Man. I mean, there, there is nobody better you could ask for to like have as your foil. And to play as your as your comic book hero dad as a man with a mustache in it's, real life. It's it's hard not to have a good J.K. Simmons performance. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, but I mean, the the first episode is pretty much standard superhero fare up until the last five minutes, and that's when I got really really engaged with the show, and that was the thing that clicked with me, and it was like, right, this is something different now. This is something I'm really interested. It's, it's, Certainly got a nice central mystery as to why um, why certain characters are, are acting the way they do, and I kind of like the whole idea of like it's um, we're not quite sure mm-hmm. what the responses are, and we've had the demon uh, detective in there, and it's kind of like it, it, did they do that? How, how has that worked? Um, so it's like the mystery's there, and it's putting in other characters, like um, another member of one mm-hmm. of the other, the Teen Force. So they're not they're not all got the same. Uh, motivations so it's like you know that there are things that we know from the comic as to why certain characters act the way they do Um, but it's it could be different that's the thing I like with the Kirkman's writing in terms of um, the way he does his comics is that he he doesn't play out the way it did in the in the comic books yeah I mean it's been interesting because uh, I first heard about this with Seth Rogen's involvement in it and he's one of the executive producers and it's kind of a name that you don't associate with a animated comic book series as much but apparently there's a live action series also in the works at the same time and there's been a motion comic series with some of the voice actors crossing over so it seems to be Robert Kirkman because he's done so well with The Walking Dead and his executive producer on Invincible it's kind of it's like this is his second franchise and it seems to be 
maybe getting it out there whilst the Iron's Hot and the Amazon series is doing well. And it's been it has been heavily marketed, I would say that. Every time I switch on any of my Amazon Fire sticks, it's pretty much there in my face. I do quite like the Invincible fact that, that, you know, Seth Rogen has, has decided to voice a character who doesn't look like he's got much to do in these first series. But if you know from the comics, that character's going to appear again mm-hmm. and he's guaranteeing he's going to have more action down the line. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's done a he's done a crafty job there of um, choosing which character to voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, typical Josh. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to, but he's going to yeah. be back. Uh, you know, but yeah, but again with the last episode, which I watched episode three, at the very end, that last couple of minutes is kind of sowing that seed of doubt as you would get in the first episode. I think it's it's very well constructed and I'm really having a blast with this because I've not read the original comic book and it's kind of slap and wrist on myself for not getting around to it the first time around. But it's kind of also interesting um as a as a, a show, it's like um kind of like a right live action time. It's not it's running for forty five minutes mm-hmm. or so rather than the traditional kind of like twenty two minutes, half an hour that you would expect from an animated show. Um, so it is kind of having a live action sensibility um, when I kind of think that they're playing uh, against the expectations of what an animated show should be like um, and are kind of like, you know, leaning into the idea of like this is, um, you know, a, a drama and we're just using the art style of, of uh, animation to tell our story. But it's it's treating it in the same way as any other kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, drama show. And it's, it's not kind of like, you know... Um, it's it's it, people have people have grown used to the world of superheroes. We've seen Marvel movies, we've seen Marvel TV series. Um, so I think you know the the audience will accept that you can have a fifty minute animated TV show about superheroes. <laughs> CW. Um, so you know the kind of like the um, and also as well that the but the, it allows them to do lots of things that you couldn't do in a live action budget. Um, but you know, anim- animation is not an inexpensive um, medium, but it does mean that they can do a lot of things that they probably wouldn't be able to show. Yeah. And I think, as we went, I think being on Amazon Prime as well is probably the best place for this because I couldn't actually see this existing on network TV. So we had like the period of adult animation in the late nineties, early two thousands, with stuff like Aeon Flux on MTV. But I don't think this would have survived on like a channel like the CW or something like that. I don't think it's the right place for it. Whereas possibly Amazon Prime, a streaming service, it, it's one of those where you are going to hunt it out yeah, if you're a fan. It's kind of um, late night Channel 4 animation styles, of things that you used to watch. Um, so kind of like Legend of the Overfiend and things like that. Um, so having, having it on a streaming channel probably makes it a bit more accessible to um, other um, services. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the boys is um, going to get a third season. The, the Tick was a great series, but I only got um, two. That wasn't really hugely popular. Um, you know, it's kind of a little bit outside of other people's wheelhouses. Um, but I'm thinking that they go kind of pushing this series quite a lot. It's it's coming up alongside the fact that Netflix is going to release Jupiter's Legacy soon. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it will yeah, kind and of run for I'd, a few I'd seasons. If, if you're bored of superhero tropes, I'll try giving this a watch because it messes around with them quite a lot. Yeah. 
it's a definitely an interesting show uh and maybe for somebody who isn't kind of like a traditional superhero fan uh mm-hmm. can come to because there's a lot of interesting drama going on in there uh and you know he's kind of riffing off the whole anti-hero ideas uh kind of so, so it kind of fits with things like your dexters and your animals and stuff um you know so i think it's it's a show that definitely would extend beyond the kind of usual um superhero cartoon fans uh and i think you know if you're looking for a good drama check it out cool so it's on amazon prime now streaming as we record this so go check it out it's not been all good news on the playstation front recently unfortunately um rather than the ps5 being out of stock for everyone they've also decided to pull the rug from a couple of their digital shop store services for the playstation 3 and the playstation vita that and, beautiful console and the PSP as well. So, um, for the details, they are going to be closing the PS3 and PSP marketplaces on the 2nd of July, and the Vita closes on the 27th of August. Um, so that just that's just it. That's just the sort of stores gone. I believe you can still download stuff that you've already purchased, but you cannot make any new purchases going forward. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a shame because there's some really strong digital exclusive only titles for these stores, mm. I mean, especially for the PSP and the PS Vita, because you're not you know scrabbling around for a UMD disc on some of these, <laughs> as we mentioned previously. I mean, the, well, I mean, the problem with the, the Vita is uh, in order to store all those digital games, you need their proprietary memory cards that cost the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, but no, there's like there's pl- there's two thousand games. Wow. that are digital only on across the three platforms. Um, not That doesn't necessarily mean that all of them are going to be... Like, you can't find them somewhere else. Because there are a number of games that, once the stores go down, they become Xbox exclusives because they'll still be available through Xbox platforms. So stuff like Beyond Good and Evil HD, um, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light, uh, the Bionic Commando revival games when they did those... Um, along, along with a bunch of like HD remasters of Sega games, so like Sonic CD and um, Space Channel Five and Jet Set Radio, they all become Xbox exclusive because you know you can get you'll still be able to get them through the Xbox Store, but PS3 Store is gone. Um, there's thing, but then there's things like Tokyo Jungle, which is entirely digital only PS3 exclusive game. Um, that I think did have a very limited physical release, but I think is really hard to get hold of. So you're going to lose stuff like that. You're going to lose stuff like um, the Echo Chrome games, which I didn't personally like the first Echo Chrome, but there are people who really enjoyed the Echo Chrome games. So I just think it's it's really not good for like archival purposes. Um because you, you know, there's all these games that are just going to be lost, and there won't be any other way to get hold of them. Um, I mean, it, I can't imagine it's much server space still required for like the PlayStation Three and PS Vita stores, mm-hmm. for example. I mean, I can't imagine these are what four or five gigabyte games maximum. Yeah, and... I don't. My PS Three, I never have to really delete stuff on there where unlike the ps4 i'm constantly having to uninstall stuff because everything's 90 gig these days <laughs> yeah 
And it as is a bit of a shame. And it, it seems, as you've mentioned there, Microsoft are now the ones with the most backwards compatibility out of the three major console brands. Yep. Because Nintendo are awful for like hiding away their classic games. Well, either, they just they just put them. the Mario games back in the cupboard. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, they do, they do the Disney thing of, well, let it out for a couple of years. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 taking it back now. Yeah. We can't play it anymore. And especially with like the Wii and uh, and the Wii U had a really strong virtual console lineup and, and there we've got the yeah. Switch Online service which yeah yeah it's yeah. more the I was gonna say it's more the fact that that they did a lot of digital exclusives are in there because it was it's okay when they they archive stuff that's physically available you know you've got the secondhand market you go to cons you can buy old games you know you can buy. Uh, you know, extortionate prices, but you can still get hold of these games. And if you've got the console, you can still play them. But once you've got, once you start getting into the realms of things that have never had a physical release, to then remove them from sale just seems kind of not a great idea. That you, mm-hmm. that now they're never going to be able to be played, or or that you can only play them if you've got a console that's already got them pre-downloaded onto, yeah. which is kind of what we were all doing with like Scott Pilgrim a few years back when that. When that disappeared, you you could only get out of it if you'd got it on your your machine already. And you know, uh, there's going to be eBay scalpers who'll be like selling consoles with like Tokyo Jungle for like five six hundred pounds <laughs> yeah. because it's the only way you can now have it. Here's a PSP with Echo Chrome, or or the One Luminous game that's uh, digital exclusive. Um, but I mean, like it's it's interesting you're saying about like going to cons and getting some of the older games. The PS3 store is actually really really good for PS1 games because they had it quite a big library of PS1 games on there and I think everything on there was usually between 3 to £7 usually depending on how popular the game was likely to be so like your Final Fantasy 7 you, you were playing £7 but like yeah. your, your your Disney Skate Adventure or whatever that's that's 3 quid. Um, but like all that goes which means that now you're back to the situation where if you want to play I think I looked up some games like Wild Arms for instance which is a sort of JRPG from that era, um, exclusive to the PlayStation. And I think on eBay, it's about 90 quid on average at the moment. And, you know, you could buy it for seven quid. I did check the price, but I couldn't see the price. All I got was a download link. And because they already took down the web store, couldn't double check it. <laughs> but that's yeah. the price range. So Well, that's another thing as well. Physical copies degrade. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem with the PlayStation 1 disc because for the vast majority of them, most people probably never kept them in a kind of pristine condition that you would expect a collector to, especially with that black black surface on the bottom. Oh, it annoys me so much as someone who does have pristine copies. <laughs> yeah, but you can understand kids at the time, they're not going to yeah. take good care of it. They'll scratch it up. Yeah. And whenever something has a physical release, guaranteed copies will evaporate over time and be mm. lost and put in attics and put in storage and never thought of again so as you said those hard to find games that had a limited release to start off with are going to be even more complicated to find and not having a digital asset version of it uh, the white unless you sail the seven seas of course mm. i uh, think i think the worst example i found was like you could so i have um it's persona 3 portable for the psp which you could get digitally for 25 quid, which is still kind of expensive, but it's a Persona games, and, and mm-hmm. they're always expensive. It's like I was seeing it in the thousands on eBay, 
and it's like that's just insane um but like you know you it's one example that did immediately come to mind but then i realized it didn't quite hold up was symphony of the night because like i've only ever seen that at conventions always at 100 quid and i got it for seven seven pound on the ps3 store but thankfully konami did re-release that for the ps4 so there is a version there is a way to still get hold of that one but as you mentioned, con, um, those con games, uh, as as a beloved GameCube owner who kicks himself mm-hmm. in the head every time he thinks about his GameCube that he sold back in the day, with with such games as Skies of Arcadia Legends and Tales of Symphonia and the the Legend of Zelda Special Edition Wind Waker with all the previous releases and, and the ones that I go to at cons now and say, oh, I wish I could afford this again. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a reason why my GameCube collection is six games only. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 going to be a case of is the PlayStation Three, for example, going to turn into that? We talked about that in the previous segment that the PlayStation Three had a limited selection of games in comparison to the PS Two and the PS One. At least at so, the beginning, it definitely picked up. I would say, but at least yeah. at the beginning. But finding those PS3 early titles is probably going to be a struggle if you wanted to buy physical copies mm-hmm. and you haven't purchased them on the PlayStation Store. I mean, if it's something like I think Resistance, would be like the launch title. I I don't know how easy that would be to get hold of these days. Yeah, um, that's the other series. Yeah, it's Killzone and then Resistance. They went yeah. either or, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but gaming's a weird entertainment medium because when you think of other entertainments so if you think of music or you think of uh, books or you think of uh, films you know if somebody talks about a classic of each one of those kind of you've you've probably got some way of of getting hold of those and being able to watch them or enjoy them or listen to them whereas when it comes to games why are we in this perpetual idea of like once a new generation has come everything before it gets wiped away so it's like if somebody says oh i played this like classic game you know you want to play parasite eve or you want to play um you know something else and you go and but there's no unless you've got the original there's there's no kind of subsequent you know people dabble with hd remakes and all the rest of it but it's kind of that idea of like totally abandoning it completely it's like you know technology's moved on we've got polygons now who would ever want to play an 8-bit game anymore well that that is in fact the attitude of the head of playstation at the moment he he has actually been quoted as saying like he saw ps1 and ps2 games running more recently and was just like why would anyone ever want to play these it's like because they're still good games even if they don't hold up graphically yeah Um, which is why even though they could do backwards compatibility for ps1 and ps2 games on the ps5 they don't do it yeah it's kind of like going to a museum and saying people oh, i won't be interested in that artwork anymore because it's old yeah it's like only modern artworks it's it, it, it's a very backwards view mm-hmm. is how i describe it I, I would agree i think um one of the problems with gaming as an in- industry is still a struggle for legitimacy um not necessarily as an economic sort of factor like i think in recent years, we've kind of established that games are big money and hence the explosion of esports, that kind of thing. But in terms of actually their historical and cultural impact now, like now we are, um, you know, a good half century since sort of the start of video games in general. Um, you're, you, like you just said, you're not just seeing them as games that you used to play and now they're really old and don't want to play them anymore. Like they are 
a sign of the times they were a thing at the time they showed you what the kind of general consensus of gameplay was what the culture was that kind of thing and it's like um it's just looking at some of the titles that will be gone obviously there's no there's not really a lot of explanation of why they can't just even if they just say we are going to pull all of them over but it's going to take years to do all of them um you are going to lose some good ones like Tokyo Jungle, that kind of thing, but also um, Dissidia 12, uh, which was quite surprising that they're losing that because the Dissidia franchise, um, the offshoot of Final Fantasy on the PSP yeah, and PS Vita was quite... I did see I did see that on the list and it was kind of like I th- could have sworn there was a physical version of that. They are, but again, you'll have the same problem of um. they'll be... In very short supply. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that there's some like I am an air traffic controller, airport hero, Tokyo. <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely yeah. sure there's going to be a massive outcry, but you do have others that are quite prominent, and I think it's that kind of disregard for video games as historical pieces because I, yeah, it's a hindsight think, thing. I think, like, like you said, there's not there's a bunch of stuff on there that wouldn't be mourned if it's gone, but I think. One of the things that stands out with a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of weird things on there, <laughs> like but in in a good way, like they're kind of experimental, unique experiences that you wouldn't really find anywhere else, and we're going to lose those. They might not necessarily be amazing, but they're definitely interesting. And yeah. I think it's going to have that first generation of twin stick shooters, yeah. which is massive in Japan. It's not so much in Europe and America. But twin stick shooters are pretty much bread and butter for Japanese digital gaming things. Yeah. And like those kind of franchises. I'm pretty and sure that a big chunk of these are, are yeah. exactly what you're describing. So Yeah, as I can imagine, like as you said, that kind of niche. But those games are very, very popular in Japan and there's tournaments around them. So I can imagine possibly losing some of those might have a larger impact than Sony think. And it's not like Sony's not got enough money to keep these stores running. It's it's kind of like, how much is it on the owners for the company to keep it running for no cost, for a cost to them? And I can't imagine it's a significant cost mm-hmm. versus how much goodwill are they going to lose? And as we said, Microsoft have done very well with backwards compatibility, especially across the Xbox One, where they've been, they've been bringing back original Xbox classic games and saying, like, pop it in and it'll work fine. I don't understand as well why they don't kind of adopt a system in in America. It doesn't it isn't here in the UK at the moment. But Warner Brothers do a kind of like uh, buy on demand for some of their classic titles, particularly for cartoons, um, because they have a lot of the, the um, Looney Tunes library. So in America, you can kind of um, I don't know if they're still doing it now, but it used to be you could order the discs of the things that you wanted. So they didn't stock them and you didn't find them in shops, but you ordered them up. And I can't understand why games don't do that. You know, obviously, if they kind of want to use less server space and they want to reduce their costs in terms of maintenance of those, just make it a make it a request service that if you want to, you know, there's a list. But if you want to play that game, you kind of either have to pay a little bit more and you get a, a, a Blu-ray or a DVD sent out or uh, it becomes a downloadable link. You know, everybody uses WeTransfer these days. Everybody knows how to download something, but it's a request service. So they're not maintaining servers for traffic think, that might not exist, but I you think can the problem, request it. The problem it. is, I think, is there is a cost with all that in itself because you yeah. need staff and 
you know, ma- maintenance of some sort. You still need some sort of storage to have the game code. Yeah. The sub poor salary man who's just been working yeah. on PlayStation Three store updates for the last ten years. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> get, I mean, just get Sony AI. It just I mean, all computer control. I mean, just Microsoft... get fans to do it. Fans to do it. That's the thing. I mean, Microsoft have like got a whole department just dedicated to backwards compatibility. You know, any anything that doesn't run properly they'll get a team on it to try and fix it so that you can load up your old original xbox games and they'll work on the series x um, and i do like that microsoft are really pushing for that and they've actually taken that very seriously um and it is one of those things that endlessly frustrates me with sony at the moment is this sort of refusal to adopt that backwards compatibility because I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about how they would get the PS3 stuff running on the PS5, just because that architecture was so weird and out there that no one could program for it. Um, and I think the emulation still isn't quite there yet. But like the PS1 and 2, they could just put an emulator in the PS5. They could just patch one in and have it working. They had it running on the PS3. Well, they had it running on a, the PS1 Mini, didn't they? Which was just basically a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Reslapped with yep. a bit of code on it, so I can't imagine it's that much of a task. Well, well, but, like I said, that it, it exists in the PS3. Like you can put a PS1 game into the PS3, and it runs off an emulator, which means that not every game works very well. Uh, like I know that Ape Escape doesn't work on the PS3 at all. Like it gets to the title screen and then just doesn't do anything. The only button that works is the one that takes you back home. <laughs> but, but you, yeah, but you mentioned emulators. I mean, there is the ones like the PSXE. I think which you can find through the Android store, mm-hmm. and you can find ISOs, and it's it's a case of the fans are doing a much better job. However, the legal ramifications are yeah. of keeping these games in circulation as something that you can still continue to play to this day, rather than the actual owners of said hardware. Well, that is an issue that I have seen discussed with a lot of people. Like there are people who are very determined to archive games and keep keep sort of a record of everything and they're all just talking about like just pirating everything now because you know if, if, there's, if, no, if there's no legal way of getting it yeah you might as well yeah it's gonna say if you can't make it legally accessible in an easy manner and this was the whole thing with netflix at the time netflix pretty much killed torrenting at the time because it was a case of for a flat fee this market space has pretty much everything you want to watch but you can go there even within the gaming space, that's kind of what happened with Steam as well, because Gabe Newell's been on record saying that like piracy is a service problem. Yeah. You know, if you're offering a better service than the pirates, you beat piracy. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's going back to the old days of cable TV now with the fractiousness of it, and unfortunately with exclusives, which PlayStation are loving to have these their exclusives, taking those even digital exclusives from 10, 15 years ago. It's, it's a detriment to the whole world, not just yeah. PlayStation play, game and players. It's it's interesting, especially with the Vita, because that is less than 10 years old. So we're losing stuff that isn't even 10 years old yet. Yeah. And it's kind of how, what's what's the obligation, I suppose, is, is what comes mm-hmm. out of this. What is the obligation of a console manufacturer like Sony to keep these services alive? Mm-hmm. And I suppose that that is the biggest thing, really, like the return on investment. So, yes, they can do it, or they can just cancel it, get rid of all these games. The fans will moan, but they'll still... They'll get over it. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll still 
pay for more and that kind of thing. And I think um, that's one of the issues with with PC gaming as well, because there's a lot of terrible ports to PC that basically get fixed by fans. And the attitude of developers are sometimes, well, this game really isn't going to give us enough money. There's no point in us fixing it. Just let the fans do it. And I know it's, it's... it's kind of different, but did I that, guess. Did that one Dark Souls game ever get an official PC patch, or was it all once? <laughs> I mean, there was a great example recently of Grand Theft Auto V had a bug in the loading screen for the GTA Online, which was like taking minutes upon minutes, and a fan fixed it, and Rockstar's response was to give him $10,000 to say thank you very much. For at saving least, millions least, of man hours. At least they paid them. You know? <laughs> at least they paid them, but it's still kind, of, still kind of like $10,000 is a bit of a... Mm, mm-hmm. For a bug fix that saved millions of man hours their mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and I guess for a company like Sony as well, they are quite... They have quite a proud ethic, I guess, where they're always moving forward. They always want their products to move forward. They're, they're not that keen on looking back at their their past um necessarily i think i think that's i think that's the problem you can't you know running a ps1 game on like a modern sony tv please buy one Uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) it's not gonna look very good yeah i mean the playstation one games never looked good on the day of release to be honest (laughs) look as, as someone who's currently in the process of finishing up a video where a PS1 game sits next to its PS4 remake, I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what the difference is. That, that lovely voxel graphic jitter that, <laughs> that still happens to this day. But, um, yeah, it, it's a shame to lose them. But as we said, I'm sure somebody somewhere will find some way of archiving it before it disappears. There's already a subreddit dedicated to it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, press F to pay respects. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week for the past two weeks. Last week, game of the week was Evil Genius 2 World Domination, the management game where you get to run the Bond villain's secret volcano lair. Thank you, I will purchase this immediately, you need not tell me anymore. But if you must know more, this is the sequel to 2004's Evil Genius. The game is essentially Theme Park meets Dungeon Keeper, as you pick a villain and have to manage both the building of your doomsday device and the day-to-day running of your casino that's a front for your evil schemes, while also stopping the good guys from stopping what you're doing. Oh, and one of the villain options is played by Brian Blessed, so I felt that that was mandatory to give it Game of the Week. Game of the Week this week is Oddworld Soulstorm, because I'm a long-time fan of the Oddworld series, so of course this is Game of the Week. Ostensibly a remake of Oddworld Abe's Exodus from the PS1, Soulstorm is a much bigger and bolder game that's pushing to expand the story much more. New mechanics have been added and a pseudo 3D environment promises some interesting level design. It also looks the best the series ever has, and you get the sense that Lorne Landing and his crew are finally getting to realise their original vision now that the tech has caught up. It's a promising sequel to one of the best cinematic platformers ever made, and therefore it has to be Game of the Week. And now... Back to the main show. Right, now we're going to attempt something new on the show uh, in a segment we like to call Badly Drawn. Uh, so this week, as we've been talking uh, a lot about PlayStation games, um, I've had the great pleasure of drawing up a selection of PlayStation games 
in in a in a lovely badly drawn style, which we're now going to challenge Lee and Matt to to guess if they can find out what the games are. So we're going to show them uh, the images, and then they are going to scream out their own names for obvious reasons, uh, and then they're going to try and guess what the games uh, that that are represented are. Uh, we'll see who will be our badly drawn champion for the play PlayStation. So uh, I think Ryan's in control of the the visuals for this segment, uh, and we will describe to you afterwards for those of you listening on the podcast what the boys have seen. Um, but I don't know how Ryan's going to do this now. Are you just going to flash up the image? I'm going to flash up the image. So for those watching the video, they probably can't see us at the minute because it's just the, <laughs> the beautiful cover art that Keith creates every week. But uh, I'll I'll work my way through them, and there's a special bonus round for our audience as well, uh, which you can join that have the privilege of if you enter it winning a beautiful geeky brummy pin badge but we'll come back to that when we get to it but keith are you ready i am ready matt and lee are you ready i'm ready i was born ready <laughs> so number one is coming up right now silence uh <laughs> Neither of them have shouted their name. No. Uh, so, so, so the badly badly drawn premise is going well so far. Yeah. So, Keith, maybe maybe it will help if I will describe the image to you. There is a a Hessian bag with the symbol of a male on it, with the copy of the book The Liar uh, placed behind it. The clues are all there in the picture. A Hessian sack with a the, the symbol for one of the sexes and a copy of the book The Liar. The clues are there. No, nobody's going. <laughs> I cannot believe. <laughs> I thought this was so are easy. We, are we going to sack this off? Keith, is it? Is it obviously yes. Mailbag the Liar? Is it? Is it that really famous <laughs> game? Well, if I if I if I then introduce the, I'm going to have to clue you in. The symbol on the bag is for a male. The bag itself is a sack, and the book The Liar was written by Stephen Fry. Okay, I can't believe I, that Lee's I got know, this. I know what it is. <laughs> okay, Lee's, Lee's saying his name, and then he's going to say what the game is. Lee, Little Big Planet. Yes! yes. He's got it. <laughs> it's a sack boy. Yeah, okay. It's a boy, uh, it's a boy sack. See, see the problem it. is, like, my line of thinking was starting to be like, Mail bag, and therefore I was thinking postman, and therefore I was thinking death stranding. <laughs> well, I was thinking sackboy, but I don't get the liar reference because Steve McBride does all Bride. of the um, the voiceovers for the the original um, little big yeah. Oh, okay. Stephen Fry and a sackboy. Uh, it's, okay. it's not. It's not. It's not badly. It's not the badly. This is where it all goes downhill, Ryan. It's not badly drawn. It's just not well thought through. What I'm drawing. <laughs> Right, we have one point for Lee. So okay, far. and our, we're our next game. You ready? Well, uh, Matt, Metal Gear Solid. Yay! Matt got that one. See, that was a bit easier. Basically, kids, what they're seeing is a cardboard box upturned with yeah. 
with Oddy. So everybody who's ever played Metal Gear Solid knows that, that that's the easiest way to infiltrate a highly secure military installation. Is <laughs> have a box up down, upside down with its flaps hanging out. Yes. You, hi- you hide in a cardboard box. If you hide in a truck, it'll take you to another part of the base. <laughs> I didn't sound very confident because I didn't want to say Metal Gear Solid and you go, no, it's obviously Box Boy. <laughs> All right, you ready for number three? Yep. Lee. Is that The Last of Us? Yes, it is The Last of oh, Us. Oh, well done. What, what, <laughs> well Lee's, done. what Lee's seen there is a Taylor guitar with fungus growing out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that quite clearly is The Last of Us. Um, yeah, I was thinking Mario. When was Mario on the PlayStation? Because that is obviously a toadstool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't you try and find another way of representing The Last of Us in a way that makes sense? True. Uh, so Lee's in the lead four. there with two two to Matt's one. Ready for number th- four? Yeah. Oh, Matt. Uh, God of War. Yes. yes. Matt's got yes. War version. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what Matt's seeing there is... is uh, I can't remember the name of the boys. Aramis? I can't remember the name. Atreus, I Atreus, is it? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't he from um, the Neverending Story? Never story yeah. Atreus. <laughs> his his boy, his boy, his bow, <laughs> with, the, with the word "boy" in block capitals and an exclamation mark above it. He was called Boy more than he was called by his actual name. So, as far as I'm concerned, that is his name. <laughs> boy. So that that makes us level pegging after four rounds. We have one round left. So whoever gets this right takes the game. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Lee, is it Ico? Ico, it is. Ooh, oh, well <laughs> the win in there. Well done, Lee. It was the horns, entirely the horns. It was, yeah. So what, what Lee was seeing there was uh, what appears to be a bandage with two cattle horns and a bit of a castle behind it, mm-hmm. uh, which is he's taken directly from. Ico. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. So, yeah, that worked out reasonably well. Uh, yeah, well done, Lee. Yeah. First first winner of the badly drawn competition. <laughs> can, I, can I just point out, like, saying badly drawn competition, have you seen, like, the detail on that guitar? Key? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's time for the audience game. Keith, do you want to explain the audience game for our lovely audience? Yeah, as you've, as you've already seen... Uh, or heard Matt and Lee trying to guess what the games are. So this might not be as simple as it first appeared. Uh, so what will be uh, available on our YouTube uh, and also probably through our Twitter feed uh, is a visual representation of another PlayStation game. Uh, so all you've got to do is send us at hello at geekybrummy.com your answer to what you think the game uh, in the drawing is. So just last all thinking, if you've seen if you've seen what we've done already, cardboard box, Metal Gear Solid, sack with a boy symbol on it, and Stephen Fry's the liar, you sh- you should be able to piece together the thinking I've put into this drawing. Um, I'm sure Matt and Lee have both got it already, uh, but if you send us in your uh, ideas, if you are correct, you will go into the prize draw and you could win a geeky brummy pin badge. They are lovely geeky brummy pin badges. We all own one, and they're all beautiful. So we'll get that posted out to whoever is the winner and we'll draw it on the next podcast. I yeah, with one of them random name generator things. 
Yeah, and what we'll do is we'll put this up on our Twitter as well over the yeah. next week or so. So if you're you're listening via Mixcloud or the podcast, uh, you can still see the image, and we'll put links to it in the description as well, so you can find it and then in, enter by the twenty third of April. Congratulations, Lee! Our first winner of badly well drawn. Done. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Lee, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at Bob the Pet Ferret on YouTube, where I make various different gaming videos. On the same day that this goes out, I'll be putting out a video on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, all of their its weird choices of how to remake a game. Um, but also, you can get updates on that on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret. You can also find me tweeting more generally at the Cheap Ferret, and there's Patreon and Discord and all that sort of stuff. Just if you go to if you go to YouTube, all the links are there. Matt, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, matchstick underscore Matt, um, where I post mostly selfies. To be honest, nothing very interesting. Or follow me on at Mr Matt Level on Twitter. Um, but you can also catch me on Mondays, where I'm on the Geeky Brummy Twitter handle, um, talking about mostly esports, and in the gaming roundup on a Friday with Lee. Uh, Keith, where can we find you online? Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Hard Luck Hotel, where you'll find my lovely black and white series of uh, arty photographs, occasionally interrupted by Godzilla carrying an Easter egg. Uh, <laughs> and on Twitter, it's got a, it's at Hard Luck underscore Hotel, uh, and that's mainly just retweeting everything else that everybody's putting on the Geeky Brummy Twitter handle, which I take over on a Wednesday, uh, taking a look at some of the comics. Uh, out the week and maybe some comics news as well and you can find me at Ryan Parrish on Twitter which is the retweet feed for the Geeky Rumor channel because that's all I've seen to do on that one uh, if you haven't been paying attention I've been playing Master Chef Bingo the last couple of weeks on Brummie Gourmand, it's finished now, you're too late <laughs> it's your own fault and making many gifts of Greg Wallace that's kind of what I do when I'm not doing geeky stuff it's it's weird, we know. <laughs> but you can find us at geekybrewery.com, as we mentioned. You can find us at geekybrewery on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, as we said, uh, Matt does Mondays. I do Tuesdays and occasionally Thursdays when I remember. Keith takes over comics on a Wednesday. Lee does games on a Friday. And the lovely Mrs. Geeky Brewery in the background does the weekend coverage. So big thanks to her and geeky goings on which is our sister twitter account which tells you what's going on in the local area and there might actually be something going on which is not virtual <laughs> very soon for some people uh but thank you very much for listening watching or listening with the music on all the different variations you do if you're watching this on youtube you can also get a mixcloud version with extra music at mixcloud.com forward slash geeky brummy or if you want to take us in your pockets we're also on podcasting services apple spotify I think we're pretty much on all of them now, so no excuses. Uh, but don't forget to tell your friends, like, subscribe, share, do all the useful things. And we have a Kofi as well, if you have a file right, chucking a few quid our way. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next issue. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.